Alright, welcome everybody to the August 30th edition of Cascadian Views. Dan's back in the country now, so we got the whole crew together. How are you doing? Doing good. Doing good. Good to be back. And uh, Chris, you are digging out from the hurricane we talked about last week. I, I assume everything went fine for you guys at the end. It, uh, yeah, it veered kind of west and then sideways east. So We were talking it, about that. That's uh, all. Last week, and I'm just glad he didn't get any flash floods or anything. I do have uh, a couple yeah. friends down in Louisiana that are, you know, just got pounded last night by Ida. So yeah, fun times. Uh, speaking of fun times, we have now ended America's longest war. The almost to the day, twenty years we were in Afghanistan. We came up a couple months short. Uh, in the end, uh, I was pretty apocalyptic over this in the beginning. I thought this was going to be botched, and to be absolutely fair, the first few days were 100% botched. But in the end, it it seems like we did pretty well. Uh, the combined number of people that the, the international forces got out was 123,000 civilians, not including their own troops. Uh, some of those were their own civilians. Other than were uh, Afghans who had worked with both us and other foreign forces. Uh, it seemed like it was going to be dicey there for a second, but we think we got pretty much everybody out. Yeah, I mean, the evacuation itself was really impressive, considering the very compressed timetable. Um, I mean, still horrifying for all of the Afghans themselves who are left behind, but uh, yeah, that's the, I mean, kind of the situation we always knew we were going to be leaving them to. So the number that the U.S. actually managed to get out was about 80,000, 6,000 of which were our own civilians, uh, the remaining balance, mostly Afghan civilians. Uh, the rest of it was evacuated mostly by Britain, Spain, Germany, and France. Um, I do know that there are some Turkish troops in the country helping sort things out. I don't know how much Turkey took in in terms of evacuations and the like. Uh, but it's it's the end of an era, and it's it's looking to start exactly how the last one ended. There is uh, ISIS terror cells in Afghanistan. Uh, surprise, yeah. surprise. Uh, this one known as ISIS-K, they carried out a suicide bombing at the airport. Uh, this killed 12 American troops as well as dozens of Afghan civilians. I believe the final uh, death toll was 90. Um, there was another attempted suicide bombing the day after that, which a U.S. drone took out. Uh, the killer drones that the U.S. has previously used for these sorts of targeted killings have this almost sci-fi thing where they they release this package of spinning blades that like precisely cuts one person out of a car and leaves basically the rest of the car just fine. There's just a giant hole in it and like where one seat used to be. Um, there's some confusion because the Wall Street Journal reported that we used one of these Reaper drones, which fires those kinds of projectiles to do this assassination, but it looks pretty consistent with a rocket attack. Uh, and in fact, there are Afghans saying that a stray rocket uh, hit a house and, and killed a, a family in the course of this. So I'm, I'm a little confused what happened. Either the Wall Street Journal is kind of talking out their butt or 
we're being cagey about what we're using with that. Hmm. Uh, there was a third attack attempted at the airport in which ISIS launched five rockets at it. These were all intercepted by U.S. anti-theater missile system, um, shot down. There was no casualties for that. So three attacks in like three days. That is getting off to a strong start if you're a terrorist. Yeah. And I mean, there's several things about that, right? Like it's especially grim to see the prediction that the country could become a base for terrorist activities come true before we were even out the door. Yeah. <laughs> um, but also, ISIS, at least at this point, ISIS and the Taliban are not buddies. And I think it just kind of speaks to how, you know, the central government couldn't hold the country together, but the Taliban isn't going to do a whole lot better. There's still going to be regional warlords. There's still going to be like these factional groups. It's right. It's all going to be a mess. Yeah, exactly. It's going to be this kind of decentralized, uh, yeah, kind of soup of one region against another, which, yeah, it's not too different from how it was before, frankly. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I think one of the other things that struck me about that. Um, seeing the coverage of the American casualties was that all of these people were like about 20. They were literally babies when 9-11 happened. Yeah. You know, they were like in their early 20s. When, when Brock said it's the end of an era, he's not joking. Yeah. It's been It's been an era. Yeah. I was <sighs> a sophomore in high school when the Afghanistan war started. You know, it's been basically my entire life. Yep. At least, like, my conscious life. Uh, yeah. It's it's just, it's hard to conceptualize it ending. It's been going on so long. Yeah. Uh, and then... I don't know if you guys want to pull it up, but I just put a picture of what the R9, uh, R9X, the drone system that we use for those uh, assassinations that we typically do, uh, and the the blade spinny thing that they use to do the assassinations in the topic list there. Um, just to kind of illustrate what those strikes look like, uh, whereas if what people are saying is true that there were rocket strikes uh, that went off target, hit the buildings, exploded. Uh, then the Wall Street Journal got it wrong. <laughs> we were not using an R9X with the ninja missile. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much that matters, but I am. Um, I am really just kind of curious how we're going to adapt to this because at the end of the day, what happens in Afghanistan as we've seen for like 40 years now impacts the rest of the world. The United States is not going to be able to completely walk away. We're going to have to maintain some sort of link, uh, talking to people, probably allies in the area, you know, the Northern Alliance might be trying to get the gang back together and whatnot. I made this point to Chris last week that, 
you know, it, it doesn't give you a warm and fuzzy feeling as a democracy to partner yourself with somebody who goes by the title of warlord. But it it's probably the best we're going to be able to do. Because we're, we're not going to be able to just walk away. We're going to have to have some sort of intelligence on the ground, some sort of way to know what's going on, and some sort of ability to strike when we need to strike. Yeah, and I think we can probably expect just based on how we've operated in other areas that there will be more drone strikes that'll be, become kind of the norm. It reminds me of when I was a child and people used to make fun of Clinton's uh, cruise missile diplomacy where he'd never really put boots in the ground and he launched a lot of cruise missiles. Right. Which... To be honest, might not be the worst idea in the world. Like, it was always taken as a slight, but seems kind of smart. I get that not everything yeah. can be accomplished by that, but I'll tell you what. I've said several times that as soon as it became clear that we were giving up Kandahar and Bagram air bases, we should have put a, a, a few cruise missiles into each of them just to deny the Taliban the equipment. Mm -hmm, They've mm -hmm. revised that number up, by the way. They now have 63 Blackhawks. That's more than, like, 99% of the, the air forces in the world. It's absolutely wow. ridiculous. Uh, yeah, I don't think they're going to be able to keep them flying for, for very long, but they own 63 Black Hawk attack helicopters. Temporarily, they've got a hell of an air force. <laughs> they really do. <laughs> Holy shit. The fucking Taliban. Yeah. Oh, my God. They've got... Uh, oh, that's good. Yeah, they've got somewhere around, like, 10 C-117 transport uh, planes. They could land a fucking army in another country if they wanted to with the Air Force we left them. <laughs> it seems like a good opportunity for Pakistan. Yeah, um, and Pakistan, a bit, I did not know this was a thing, but it's apparently enough of a thing that they've had to go to the world media about it, denying that they have any links to the Taliban. I guess people have been saying that they're supporting them. And one of the leaders of a similar but not quite the same group as Al-Qaeda, um, they are aligned, though, who had been hiding in Pakistan, was Ahaz-e-Islami or something like that was the name of the group, just appeared in Afghanistan about an hour after American troops left. So they, the people who had been taking shelter in Pakistan from American troops are locking back to Afghanistan, which I'm sure is going to be fantastic. Yeah, I mean, I don't think we've ever had, uh, maybe the intelligence agencies know more about it, but I don't think we've ever had a proper accounting of just how much the Pakistani military and intelligence service was aiding and abetting bin Laden after he was on the run. We know quite a bit. The local Afghan military knew bin Laden was in that damn near palace he was in yeah i mean that safe house was right by their military yeah. academy it's essentially right by their west point <laughs> it's mm, i i have a lot of distrust about pakistan also by the way we know that pakistan was a source of north korea's nuclear ability uh, a rogue pakistani nuclear scientist decided to sell them the technology uh, and help them build a, a couple bombs. So that's where they got their start. Pakistan is just fantastic at international security. <laughs> Such a great ally. 
Ah. All right. Uh, I guess we'll move on to the other federal story. Um, Chris, you said the infrastructure bill is moving along. I, I kind of thought we had already done that, so I'm a little bit confused. <laughs> well, we talked about, um, I think, the details of Nancy Pelosi negotiating were kind of what we talked about last time, but mm-hmm. that negotiation actually concluded. Right. Cleared the House now. Yeah. On a party line vote, if I recall correctly, means we got not a single Republican on board. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess the most immediately significant thing about that is that by setting a date for the bipartisan bill vote, essentially that bill is passing. It's already been passed by the Senate. It only needs an up or down vote in the House. And clearly what she's negotiated is some kind of commitment from the caucus at large to do a second bill. Um, We're going to be wrangling a lot about the size and the contents probably. From what I understood, um, and I did mention this last week as well, so I'm, I'm hoping that it was in the final agreement, but it was going to be another deem and pass situation like they did with Obamacare, where if the House passes the reconciliation package, they will deem the bipartisan package passed as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was Pelosi's plan, at least going into the meeting. Um, obviously, I have been following along close enough to know that negotiations, negotiations had concluded, so I'm assuming that's how they're doing it, but I don't actually know. Well, from what, um, at least from what's publicly been released, she's committed to a date for the vote, regardless of whether the other bill is absolutely ready to go at that point, which was something that had been unclear before then. Okay. Uh, One of the other pieces of legislation that had moved was the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. Um, Yeah. And I think that's a pretty nice segue, Chris, into the other issue you had wanted to bring up. But redistricting is now in full swing. Redistricting is in full swing. And there are a couple of things about it that are very unhelpful if you're on the Democratic side of the aisle. Um, One is that the census... It is, there are some bright spots for Democrats, but there are also a lot of big Southern states that are getting more seats where the redistricting is firmly in the hands of Republican legislatures and governors. And, you know, that's going to further stack the deck. Um, the, The other thing going on is that there are so many states that have now passed these kind of voter suppression measures and will all of them pass muster ultimately? Maybe not, but can they be dragged out through the next election? Probably at least a fair number of them. So, you know, between the census shifts and the gerrymandering and these voter suppression measures, it's, I, 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 been told not to say this kind of thing because it um, demotivates people, but it is a grim outlook for the House in 2022. Yeah. So, I mean, what are the big states that we really are keeping an eye on right now? I mean, my my impression is, like, target number one is probably Florida, right? Yeah, I think Florida is yeah. the one that's going to be chopped up most egregiously. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, Texas was already pretty badly chopped up in the first place, and I think they're probably worried that if they try and chop it further, they're going to do a dummy mander. But yeah, I actually made this point in the the topic list, but the Cook Political Report says it's a done deal that of one of Texas's two seats, the Democrats are getting it. Uh, they yeah. say they're going to draw another vote sink district in Austin, sacrificing one of the two seats to the Democrats in order to ensure that all their other seats stay red. Uh, and I, I guess it comes down to the suburbs uh, for for the GOP. A lot of the seats that they were drawn were getting a lot of their population from the suburbs. Those areas are going bluer, and rather than throw in more rural areas to help them, they're just going to carve out the suburbs into another district. Huh. So, I mean, short term, I guess that's you know could be. You know, Decent, but long-term, well, that kind of sucks. <laughs> yeah, it cements the status quo, which is pretty bad for us, in exchange for it not getting any worse. Yeah. We're taking 50% of the gains in order to ensure that we only get, like, 30% of the seats. Right. Uh, one of the bright spots, or not bright spots, but one of the things that may help it not get so bad in the South is... Uh, density of minority voters who still have Voting Rights Act protections for minority districts and opportunity districts. Um, above a certain level, if you can draw a district to give a minority population over 50% of it, you kind of have to. And in other cases, if they can uh, show that they can have a large enough plurality of the population that it gives them an opportunity to capture a seat, you you should draw it in those cases, and it'll be up to the courts to adjudicate that. In the South, just because there are so many overwhelmingly black cities, it's going to be kind of hard to crack a lot of those districts that we have. And then in states like Colorado, which have shown amazing Hispanic growth, uh, especially in the, the touristy areas of the state, uh, mm -hmm. Hispanic advocacy or uh, organizations have proposed a map that gives them a 40% Hispanic opportunity district north of Denver, right. which would be Lauren Boebert's seat, and would be fantastic if we could throw her out on her ass. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, because I think at least the, the commission's at least initial map just looks goddamn terrible, you know, because mm. it's you know, basically status quo, and yeah, totally mm, yeah. infuriating. If, if the but. Hispanic community is able to get that Hispanic opportunity district, um, it would well, it would basically add another seat for the Democrats, not to put too blunt a point on it, and it would throw out one of the worst people in Congress. So I would yeah. be super happy to see that. Mm -hmm. If she doesn't get uh, zapped before then by... <laughs> by fucking Zeus, the way she's going? Yeah. <laughs> Lightning bolt from the heavens? I was gonna say, or the or the space laser, but that's uh, Marjorie Taylor Green. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was thinking more of the one six commission, but yes, that too. Is there a state that we think we can? Actually, I know the answer to this. If there's a state that we think we can fight back in, it is New York, whose brand new governor just wholeheartedly endorsed gerrymandering. Yep. <laughs> Uh, Ahoshul gave an interview and... where she said that uh, when she she was asked if she would help the Democratic Party in redistricting, and she said she is the head of the New York State Democratic Party, and she wholeheartedly endorses that responsibility. Yeah. Yep. Big improvement over Cuomo. 
Yeah, yeah, it's probably it's New York and Illinois are the yeah, two states Illinois where we've got real ground for improvement. I almost feel bad about Illinois because that's going to come at the expense of two Republicans who we actually kind of like. Yeah, well. It's going to end up throwing Kingsinger out of Congress. His district's the one that's going to be fucking axed. Yeah. Um, and the other moderate they have on their team there. All the crazies from Illinois are going to stay. Yep. That's kind of <laughs> what happens when you gerrymander is you, you end up killing the moderates. Mm-hmm. I think uh, Wasserman had a, a piece on exactly that on Twitter over the last week. Or I should say a fight, not a piece. I guess in, in other election news, uh, they've dropped the recall effort up in Alaska against Dunleavy. Uh, mm-hmm. Not for really any substantive reason, it seems like, but just because the next governor's election is close enough, they don't want to waste it. Jeez. Imagine Somebody that. Somebody tell California. <laughs> <laughs> it's only a year away, and they've already pumped a bunch into it, and they don't want to go through another year when everybody's just going to vote in a year anyway. So they're just going to go with fighting the election. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and that transitions us into California, where the recall election is in full swing and getting dicey. Uh, Newsom does appear to have a small lead, but not anything you want to hang your hat on, and it's a coin flip. Great. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to toss the sixth largest economy in the world into chaos with pretty much any of the other candidates. Yeah. There's, there's yeah, not I mean, a serious, even a serious Republican on the ballot. They're all clowns. It's all clowns. Everybody's a goddamn clown. Yeah. <laughs> It makes they they make Schwarzenegger look good. They really do. Schwarzenegger wasn't a half bad governor. I have to say. Yeah. I kind of thought he did a good job. In comparison, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he 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 picked the fights that I, not that I agreed with, but the ones that I thought from his position were sensible to pick, and he didn't upset the apple cart. He was, he was the mythical good Republican. <laughs> that doesn't really fucking exist anymore. And I think that entirely has to do with the fact that he was not a politician. He wasn't invested in the crazy. Uh, Everybody in that field is invested in the crazy. Even the ones who aren't politicians. Caitlyn Jenner. There's... If you're on the show keeping up with the Kardashians, I don't want you as my governor. (laughs) That, That is disqualifying in itself. Yep. (laughs) <laughs> yeah 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 well, unfortunately the um the lead candidate is a right-wing talk show host so that should go well oh yeah, yeah. are there any left i thought they were all dying <laughs> a lot of them are <laughs> there were like four of them that died within three days of each other it's like <laughs> three of them were from florida it's a more dangerous job than like a Bering Sea crab fisherman. Oh my god, did you see that political cartoon? Oh, I'm gonna have to look it up. But it was uh, the meeting of like the America's most dangerous professions, and they were talking yeah. about how they have to admit uh, conservative talk show hosts now. <laughs> Just a bunch of like crab fishermen and firemen and shit standing around looking pissed. It was really yeah. Funny. Oh my gosh. <sighs> When's the actual date of the California recall election? 
That's uh, 14. Tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. 14. Okay. So we will know in two weeks how that goes. Well, yeah. I mean, remember California mail-in ballots. So we'll know oh, yeah. in two weeks and maybe maybe some change. It took them um, a long time to settle out the primary. Uh, I remember we were waiting like a full month for the final results from that. Yeah. Uh, and then the last kind of big story I wanted to talk about is uh, I see that there's a lawsuit among the Washington State Employees Union and the state uh, state government up there over the vaccine mandate for state employees. Yeah. Yeah. So it looks like it's been an un- it's an unfair labor practice complaint that's been brought by WFSI over uh, Governor Inslee's mandate that uh, state employees be vaccinated by October 18th. Uh, Among other things they've noted is that that October 18th deadline is actually a lot closer when you consider that, you know, you have to get your first shot by, actually that would be the end of this week, September 6th. Um, It looks like... just by reading the complaint and saying things, the fact that it's an unfair labor practice uh, complaint here, uh, it looks like they're mostly trying to get the uh, administration to the table and compel some negotiation over the terms of the mandate and possibly get some kind of negotiation and uh, maybe uh, – Let's see here. There's not any kind of list of specific demands that are being made public. But imagine like a testing requirement opt out. Exactly. Well, that's actually and get tested weekly or something instead. That's included in the mandate already. Okay. So uh, I'm not sure what other kind of conditions might be included here, but uh, I would expect that you know. You know, is probably trying to get some other kind of consideration or things like that built into this mandate as well. You don't think they're trying to actually disrupt the vaccine mandate? They're just trying to get something for it? Yeah, okay. that that's what this looks like here. That makes more sense. Um, I was initially worried that they had gone, you know, full anti-vax. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't think so. But yeah. I mean, that's uh, let's see. WFC is a subsidiary of uh, AFSCME, and yeah, I don't, I don't see them going down that road. But who knows? <laughs> Oregon, uh, not Oregon, Portland just ordered all of its city employees to get the vaccine or uh, face termination. It's going to affect almost seven thousand employees. So we're we're seeing the same thing. Uh, the state of Oregon has put in a vaccine mandate for state employees, but only in certain areas. They're not going to require like office staff to be vaccinated. Okay. Here's uh, another local story in up in Washington, but I wasn't able to get enough on it for this week, so I'm probably going to save it for next week. But there's a quite a in my view, pretty brazen uh, controversy going on in Seattle where for months now, and with the knowledge of the city council, uh, Mayor Durkin's phone has been set to automatically delete text messages uh, 
in violation, apparent violation of the state's record-keeping laws. Uh, JJ informed me about this. Oh, something about that, yeah. Yeah, I, I was actually really intrigued because it seems like the most blatant violation of uh, state law I've seen from a, a city official to the point where they even, like, briefed other government officials that they were going to be doing this and then proceeded to do it. Uh, so I'm, I'm a little bit curious about that. I've been fishing for more information. I've only really found a couple articles and one of which is uh, from pretty partisan outlets. So I'm looking for more. I imagine there's going to be some wrangling around this and I would love to dive into it. Uh, but I'm going to want a, a better account of it. So I'll, I'll hold off onto that for next week, probably. Sure. Sure. Yeah. All right. Anything else you guys want to talk about? Mm. Still a lot of Delta variant out there. Yeah. There's been a new mutation identified in South Africa that's uh, even more contagious than Delta, so we have that to look forward to. Hope it doesn't come here. Oh, good. Um, let's see here. Anything else? Was it Was it this last week that... Uh, was, it, was it just this week that there was approval, finally, for... By the FDA, or was it the week before? It was the week before. Yeah. Okay. It was, uh, it's all Pfizer been a blur. Vaccine got FDA yeah. approval. They've all had FDA approval. This is just the final approval for it. Uh, they're all under emergency use authorizations now. Um, right. And they're all going to get approval. The the testing regimen they went through was unusual, not in the scope, but in the speed. Usually you do your phase one trials, you analyze your data, you wait a while, then you do your phase two, analyze your data, wait a while, do your phase three each time, you know, opening up more to mo more comorbidities, more, you know, interaction between the patients and what sort of health status they're in. So you get more information with the vaccines. They just compress the time frame. If, if phase one was looking good, they allowed you to go on to phase two before you, you know, stopped and analyzed the data. You would do that later. Same thing with phase three. They let you get on that. If phase two was looking good, we just, we made it go faster. We didn't skip any steps. They just rearranged things. So I, I don't think it was ever really a question that they were going to get FDA approval. Yeah. Yeah. That, that sounds like a lot of work. I think just steal some horse paste. <laughs> <laughs> That sounds like much more makes much more sense. Oh my god, the ivermectin thing. Yeah, yeah. I've been that I've been reading that with horror. <laughs> ah, insane. Absolutely insane. It what surprises me is that it's not just crazies. So ivermectin is primarily obtained as livestock medication by people who don't have a prescription to do it. But it is available by prescription for people it's used as a anti-parasitic drug it's used in lice washes there's several reasons why people would would have ivermectin prescribed to them but i yeah. guess prescriptions for ivermectin jumped by like eighteen thousand percent uh over the last few months it, doctors are actually writing prescriptions for this who the fuck are these people mm -hmm. how do they get their medical license Quacks, yeah. I, well, there's, there have, yeah. It did start with, I guess, some of these. Uh, what was the name of the group? I saw a thread about this, but American it was basically the same physicians or something like yes, that. Yes, the same doctors. people who were hawking hydro hydroxychloroquine last year. Mm 
this is their new their new scam. So yeah, that's where it got started. <sighs> it just and there's gonna be such survivorship bias from this because you know a bunch of people who took ivermectin are gonna die, but some of them are gonna live just because, and then it's gonna become a holy crusade where they believe that ivermectin is like the sole reason that they're alive, and you're only gonna hear from the people who survived because the dead people aren't around to fucking tell you it didn't work for them. People are so dumb. All right. Well, on that happy note, I hope you guys have a good week. You too. (laughs) All right. See you next week, y'all.